pastors here, and it's an honor being with you guys. Um, we're in the middle of a series called Five Ways to Wreck Your Life. And we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those up to the book of Ecclesiastes. It's kind of in the middle of your Bible. Um, for uh, 50 points, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes? Anyone? Solomon, exactly right. I don't know who said that, so I can't award it. I apologize. Um, but uh, what we're talking about, and we kind of talked about this last week, that so many times people live their life trying to put square pegs in a round hole of their life. They uh, pursue happiness, they pursue pleasure, they pursue success, they pursue relationships, they pursue uh, the next new tech, uh, technology gadget, they pursue the next new shiny wheels, they pursue all this to try to fill that void in their life that only God can fill. And that's what we're looking at. We're looking at a guy's journal in the Bible. His name is Solomon. And he wrote in this journal some really personal and very private thoughts that God, in his infinite wisdom, made public. And uh, today we're talking about success. So let's just dive right in. Quick question I want to ask you is how do you define success in your life? In fact, if you have version, I really would encourage you to pull that up because we have a lot of interactive stuff in version today uh, that's not going to be just in the teaching. So you can kind of follow along and interact with the message. But how do you define success in your life? You know, it's so easy, busy to be climbing the ladder of success that once we get to the top, we realize the ladder is leaning up against the wrong building. And that really is Solomon's life. That's Solomon's story in a nutshell is he was very successful at the wrong things. He lived his life, and from the outside looking in, if he was here today, we would all, when he walked in the room, we would just all huddle around him because he had life by the horns. At least that's the way it looked. He was successful. But he, as he's writing this journal at the end of his life, he doesn't feel like a success. In fact, he feels like a total failure. Because all the people who knew him kind of as acquaintances, they looked at, looked at his life on the outside looking in, and they're going, man, that dude's the bomb. He's got it all. He's got it together. He's got the cars. He's got the women. He's got success. He's got the influence. He's the CEO of the multi-million dollar company. He is it. But at the end of his life, as an old man, he's writing down, and he says, my life is a bomb. My life has been bombed out. I I have just, I have destroyed my life. I have wrecked my life. Today, we're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And today, where we're going to be going is we're looking at how success can destroy your life. Now, here's what's so crazy about that. I mean, think about that. Can success really destroy your life? I mean, some of y'all, somebody's agreeing, thank you. There's like one person in here. That's good. I mean, the thing of it is, all of us, none of us wake up and say, I want to be unsuccessful, right? If you do, you need to get a job, right? I mean, you need to like, you know, some of us, we just, we've been there, but man, none of us wake up and say, I just want to be a failure. We don't do that. 
So, and, and success is one of those things that it's not a bad thing. Success is a good thing. It's just a terrible God. Success is a good thing. And God has put us in our life that desire to win, that desire to be successful. And that's a good thing. It's just a terrible God to worship. Ask Solomon. He'll tell you. And here's the thing. I was a youth pastor for 12 years. And I worked with middle school and high school students. And let me tell you one of the things I discovered at being a youth pastor for 12 years. Is some of the biggest problems I had with youth was with their parents. Let me explain. Y'all sit down. Is, is one of my jobs as the youth pastor was to try to show them Jesus. It was try to show them how to live their life like Jesus wants to live their life. And, uh, and, and you would think that that's what the parents would want. But i got to be honest with you. I got a lot of pushback sometimes from parents. Because parents didn't want their kids living like Jesus. I mean, think about this. Jesus didn't own a home. He didn't have a place to lay his head. Jesus was killed. Um, you think about it, as a parent, you don't want your kid to live like Jesus. You want them to be successful, right? You want them to be happy. You want them to live the American dream. I mean, and, and, and it, it's just amazing. I would spend so much time spending time with these kids, and then they would go home, and their parents is just like, you know what? Don't get all crazy about this Jesus stuff. You know, just take a chill a little bit. And the thing that I learned is sometimes the biggest hindrance to being living a godly life is the American dream and is success. Because so many times parents, and again, I'm a parent now, three boys, 13-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 4-year-old. And, you know, I want my kids to be happy. I want my kids to be well-adjusted. I want my kids to grow up. And here's the thing. We want our kids to grow up, our, our, our girls to be doctors, our, you know, our boys to be lawyers. We want them to own their own home. We definitely want them out of our house. Y'all know what I'm saying? We want them to have 2.5 children. I don't know what the .5 look like. Maybe they're little people. I don't know. All right? Um, I, but the thing of it is, that's what we think we, they should have. But what happens when the American dream runs headlong in, against to what Jesus wants for your life? That is what we're talking about today because we have to define success. If we success, define success as the American dream, when you get 50, 60, 40, you're going to realize the American dream can soon turn out to be a nightmare because you got bills, you got mortgages, you got all of this stuff, and you've climbed up the wrong ladder of success. And you're real successful at that, but the problem is it's up against the wrong building. That is what we're going to be looking at today. So many times, the success that we want in our life is really, it's, we're settling for mediocre because God wants something a whole lot more for us. Last week, this is what we talked about, about trying to fill those shapes, and we learned this lesson, that when we pursue the things that don't satisfy, we miss the things that do satisfy. Today, the big idea that we're going to be hitting in a minute, I'm not going to say it yet, it's a big idea that i got to be honest with you, I heard when I was six when I was in sixth grade, it was a quote, and it stuck with me. And I still remember where I was at when I read this. 
And it's, it's, it's how one of those things I've tried to live in my life and I'm not that great at it yet. Hopefully I'll get better. I'm, hopefully I'm about halfway through my life, maybe a third. I don't know. Let's get crazy. I don't know. All right. I got, uh, <laughs> this is not in my notes, but an insurance man called me and I had to get blood work for life insurance and all that stuff. So I did all of that to make sure everything was good. My triglycerides were good. My cholesterol was good. My sugar was good. And, you know, they said, well, tell me your, your weight height rate. So, and I'm like, well, I'm uh, I'm six foot eight. And I weigh 119 pounds. Good. But he called me. He says, well, you know, you're on the preferred plan. They came out, so they did the measurements, you know, and, you know, and they're going around. I'm like, okay, get back there. So, um, but, I mean, we all think, and I was telling Kim, I said, you know, I'm probably halfway done. She says, I ain't. And by the way, we're the same age. All right? And uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how long. None of us know how long we're going to live. You know, we hope to live 80, 90, 100 years old. The fact of the matter is, if we don't get started defining what success is in our life and then start pursuing it, then we're going to have lived a lifetime and we're going to be climbing the wrong ladder. Success is not a bad thing, but it's a terrible God. Today, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting at verse 17. And let's read what Solomon has to say about success. He says this, So I came to hate life. (laughs) This dude's really happy. I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. By the way, how many of y'all, that's how you feel 2011 was? Anybody? I'm there. Anybody else? All right, some of y'all. I need to be around you guys because y'all are happier than I am. Everything is, and here's the Hebrew word we looked at last week, havel, meaningless. It means um, emptiness, futility, a vapor, which vanishes quickly and leaves nothing behind. It's like popping a soap bubble. Havel, that's what it is. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. I came to hate all of my hard work here on earth, for I must leave to others everything I have earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. He says, you know what's going to happen? This is what he says. I've worked all of my heart, all of my life to get hard, hard work to get this nice stuff. And I can't take it with me. And I'm going to give this to my kids. And evidently, he wasn't too excited about his kids. Because he's thinking, these jokers are going to jack everything up. That was his attitude. All right? In fact, he's thinking at the end of the day, all of the stuff I worked all this time on is going to end up in a yard sale. It's going to be a sticker. Quarter. How much is that worth? Quarter. I mean, that's that's crazy. That we would spend all of our life and we would define success by what stuff is going to end up in a yard sale. For a price tag, for a quarter, I'm going to keep on reading. How meaningless. So I gave it up in despair, questioning the value of all of my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill. Then they must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This too is meaningless, a great tragedy. Let me tell you where our big idea is going. And let me tell you the quote that I read when I was in sixth grade that stuck with me, and this is it. 
that our greatest fear, our greatest fear should not be of failing, but of it succeeding at something that doesn't matter. I have no idea who said that. No idea. But I know it's true. You know, the thing that we fear the most is failure. Not being seen as a failure. Not being seen. We want to be seen as successful. But what this is saying, our big idea, is our greatest fear shouldn't be a failing. Our greatest fear should be climbing up to success ladder and realizing that it's, all, it's, it's leaning up against the wrong building. Our greatest fear should be not a failing, but of it succeeding at something that really doesn't matter. What are you succeeding with? What are you succeeding at? What are you a success at right now? You know, as we look at success, and t- t- today we're going to define success. In fact, as homework, I'm going to ask you to define success for yourself. But let me show you three ways how success can destroy your life. The first way is this, is by letting success define you. Letting success define you, and that will wreck your life. Heck, if you want to, just let failure define you, and that will wreck your life. You need to know this. You are more than the sum of your failures, and you are more than the addition of your successes. Do you know all of us will be failures at one time or another? Did you know that? Do you know that all of us will be successes at one time or another? It's dumb to allow your self-image, your worth, your identity to be be defined by your failures or your successes. You are more than the sum of your successes. In fact, I'm going to say this a lot during this series. That's the reason why we're not called human doings, but we're called human beings. Let me tell you, there's something about... And guys in particular, but i got to be honest with you, with the way we're going in our society, ladies, I think, struggle with this almost now just as much as men. We have a tendency to wrap our self-worth into what we can produce and how much money we can bring home and what title is in the front of the door or what rank is on, the, on, the, on, the, on, on your chest. Let me tell you, you know how that rank is, is held on there? By Velcro. You know what that means? It, it can easily come off. I mean, I, I see because we're a military community and we have so many military in our church. What happens when you retire from the military? Because you don't have the three stripes up and the three stripes down anymore. You, you can't let that define you. You're just a civilian. You're a civvy, right? And, and, and I'm telling you, there, if, if you allow this to define you, you're going to be struggling once you get out. Heck, when you get out, when you go to the next job, if you let that define you, you're going to struggle because all of us are successes and all of us are failures. You know, we have this mindset that if I could just be a success at something, then I will be seen as someone. One of the things that we put up on the screen last week, and it was a fill in the blank, it was this. When blank happens, I will be happy. Y'all remember that? All right. When blank happens, then I will be happy. Here's another thing I want to put up here. Let's fill in the blank here. 
And this is this. If I could just be successful at blank, then I'll be seen as blank. What do you fill that blank in? What do you put in that void? If I could just be successful at looking good, then I'll be seen as desirable. Then I'll be seen as loved. Is that what you put in there? Here's another one. If I could just be successful at work, then I'll be seen as important. If I could be successful at school, then then I will be seen as admirable. And people want to be me. If I could just be see, just be successful at making money, then I'll be secure. And my future will be secure. If I could just be successful at what I do, then I will be seen as valuable, acceptable, worthy, significant. What do you fill in that blank with? And hear me, we learn it at an early age, don't we? We learn it when we send our kids off to school and they get the grades. And if you could just make a 100 or a 98, some of y'all, y'all standards are much lower. If you could just pass, right? If you could just pass this, right? But it's one of those things that, and, and we realize we have to succeed at any cost. And we claw and gnaw our way to the top. And then when we get into middle school and high school, the things that we do define who we are, and it should not be that way. Who we are should define who, what we do. But think of it this way. If you're in band, you're called a band geek. All right? If you play football, you're called a jock. Right? If you're a cheerleader, you're in the in crowd. Those are the things that define you. It's what you do that defines you, but that is jacked up. The crazy thing about it is, is once you get out of middle school and high school, we take that mindset and that mentality and we take it out into the real world. And this is, and this is how we, what we do. We think, you know what? If, if I could just be seen as successful at work, then, then I'll be somebody. And then everybody will think that I am important. So what do we do to be able to make that? It takes long hours. We'll do it. Seven days a week, I'll work. I'll do it. I don't care. If, if it costs me my health, my marriage, my kids, my soul, I don't care. I will pay the price to be successful. I will perform. I will produce. I will earn. I will accumulate. I will strive. I will drive. I will win because success is what I If I could just be seen as successful at fill in the blank, then I will be somebody. But we've got it turned around. We should not allow the things that we do to define who we are. We should define who we are and let that define what we do. You see, that's what Jesus in the Bible talks about. Because you are a child of God, then you can fill in the blank. He says, because you're my child, you can do what you can ask whatever you want. And it will be given to you. You can seek. You can find. You can Because you're my child? Let me tell you what you can do because you're my child. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because you're my child, whatever you ask, he will give you the desires of your heart, Psalm 37.4. Because of who you are and whose you are, it defines your reality. 
not the other way around. Success isn't about what you do. Success is about who you are and who God is making you to be. I'm going I'm, I'm to stray from my notes for a little bit because I was taking a shower. This kind of came to my head. You know this, God calls us in 1 Peter to be holy, to be perfect, to be set apart, to be unique. Now, here's the thing. All of us, if you're, if you're a Christ follower in here today, if you have a relationship with him, there will be a day you will become holy. You want me to tell you when that day is? When you get to heaven. Because until that time, you're going to have junk in the trunk. That's just the truth. All right? You, won't, you will not be perfect. Now, hopefully, you're going to get better. All right? But at the end of the day, in fact, what the, the theological word I'm going to throw out here is called sanctification or glorification. And it's where we will be made like Jesus. You know what? I don't think, and, and, and hear me on this, I don't think God's worried about where you're going to end up because he knows you're going to end up being like Jesus in heaven. You know what I think God's concerned about? is how you're going to get there. It's the journey of who you're becoming in the process. We want to see the destination. God's already taken care of the destination on the cross. He's wanting to see how you're going to be made like Jesus. It's the progress. It's called progressive sanctification. All right? You can put that in your book. All right? Now, let's move on. Second thing. Second way that we can see how success wrecks our life is this. When we define success by winning. When we define success as winning. Let me tell you, if you define success as winning, then everybody else has to do what? That's exactly right. How many of y'all have ever argued to win a fight? All right? Let me tell you, if you're a guy in here and if you argued to win a fight, you may have won the fight, but you lost. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You won it. You're on the couch, but you won it. Right? Let me tell you, if you define success as winning, then everybody else has to lose. And that, that is never a good thing. And some of you, you're competitive to a fault. In fact, when you play a board game, you play cards, you play, you know, whatever it is, you cheat. Y'all know who you are. All right? Now, I'm hang out with me just for a sec, and let's talk about this. Why do we play games in the first place? Now, before you answer to win, hang on. All right? You can play a game by yourself and win. I was playing Trivial Pursuit on my iPad yesterday, only one player. Guess who won? I did. It's crazy. When you have one player, I won. Thank you very much. Now, here's the thing. We don't play to win. We play to be around friends and for community. But let me tell you, if you define success as winning, and when you cheat, eventually you will get called, and the people who were playing with you don't want to play with you no more. And you will be the loneliest person in the room. Because success, if you define it as winning, then you will win at all costs, even if it's cheating, and everybody else has to lose. Sometimes, you know, it's just good just to play a game just to play a game. Some of y'all, y'all have no idea what I'm talking about. Y'all play cornhole, you, I mean, you killing people, all right? I mean, they're getting ready to, you know, they're getting ready to throw back and you're tripping them and goosing them and all kinds of crazy stuff, right? But hear me, if you define success as winning, 
then everybody else has to lose, and many times we lose out on community. Listen to while uh, Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes 4.4. Then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. It's easy for us to start playing the comparison game, right? They had more lights this year. So because they have more lights this year, then we got to go all Griswolds next year and we got to get the 1,000, you know, bulb set that's, you know, powered by a nuclear reactor, right? Or yards. Oh, my Lord. Don't even get me started on yards. We moved into our current house three and a half years ago. And when we moved in, the shrubs needed to be cut. We had landscaping. So some wonderful people at one church and us, we got together and we trimmed the shrubs and it killed them. It's amazing. Y'all need to invite me over to your house to do some yard work. All right. I, so we ended up pulling up the shrubs and we have not had any type of stitch of landscaping for over three years. And every year around April 15th, when we talk about, you know, whatever money we get back, we're going to put towards the, you know, the landscaping. We hadn't done it yet. We hadn't done it yet. But, you know, it's one of those things across the street, I kid you not. It's like living across from the Stepfords. I mean, their yards are crisscrossed, you know. I mean, he mows his lawn, you know, like crisscrossed. And, I mean, the shrubbery, there's birds and hummingbirds flying around and rabbits, you know, just kind of playing underneath them. And I feel like I'm in a bad Snow White movie. All right? And at the end of the day, I look over, and, and we do this, my wife and I do this all the time. Man, one day. We're going to have that. All right? Ain't, ain't got a stitch of landscaping. One day, baby. One day. I, now, I'm telling you my mess. We all got mess like that, don't we? I mean, when somebody else has a newer, shinier, faster set of wheels in their driveway, man, I got to have that. Or tech envy? Oh, I got to have that. They got a, a faster processor, bigger screen, bigger TV. You know, I got last year's model. This year, it's not plasma, it's LED, right? I want the 3D TV. I mean, we get tech envy and we start comparing, we start looking over our fences and envying, and we start looking over the cubicles and thinking, man, one day, and we start. We start wishing on one day and we don't live today. And the things that we got, we're not happy with. Anybody else struggle with any of this stuff? That's what Solomon's talking about. That's what he's saying. The striving to win is exhausting, isn't it? The the striving to keep up. It's exhausting. Pull your hair out. It makes us anxious, insecure. Uh, We're looking at people always looking over, wanting more, and not happy with what we got. Listen to what Solomon says in chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. So what do people get in this life for all of their hard work and anxiety? That's a great question. Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It is all meaningless. friend and mentor of mine, David Foster, who pastors a church up in... uh, uh, Nashville. He's always, I meet with him once a month and, uh, he always says, Chris, you just need to be, you're always worried about where to take the church next and the next step and getting past the next growth barrier and this and that. And you're, you just need to exist and be happy and live the life that you have now on the journey that you have now. You know what? He's exactly right because all of us 
when we let success define us, and when we define success as winning, it can be lonely. And it can lead to a lot of restless nights. Man, listen to this poem. Obnoxious people. People possessed with fame and seeking acclaim and making a name. People that are vain, the ones who climb the ladder, forget others matter, and knock off anyone in their way. People who live for themselves, for their worth, their glory, their status. People striving to reach the elusive top. Whatever that is, whatever that is, they just keep climbing. Living like the world revolves around them, they neglect to see the broken world that surrounds them. Entitlement has bound them. Thoughts of achievement hound them. Pride has found them. People. Obnoxious people. I look at people like that who only know how to do and not how to be. I look at people like that and I wonder if they will ever be free. I look at people like that and I see a part of me. The part of me that's striving. The part of me that's climbing. The part of me that lives for me. The blindness to admit my flaws, push forward, dig in my claws, and not be bothered to put up my walls and offer what? Just a little applause. And that could be written about our life, couldn't it? Success. What is motivating you to be the person who you are? What is motivating you to get up on Monday morning and to achieve? Is it to fill a God-shaped void in your soul that if you could just do this, if you, if you could just get the title, then inside you could get the self-worth. You know, we're reading this book of, of Ecclesiastes because Solomon at the end of his life was very successful on the outside, but on the inside, he was broken, he was lonely, and he didn't like the man he was becoming. And that leads us to our third point. We can let success ruin us by letting success spoiling our character. Spoiling our character. What is character? Character is who you are when nobody's looking. Character is who you are when nobody's looking. Character is what you do in the dark. Who you are really. One of my mentors in seminary, Chuck Swindoll, said this at my graduation um, from my master's. He says this, Character integrity is the most important part of a pastor. And I would add, it's the most important part of any person. Character and integrity, they're the only thing that cannot be taken away from you. Character and integrity... That's laid down willingly and given away during a fleeting temptation. Let me tell you, the only thing that you are, I mean, your mom or daddy probably told you, is who you are, is your word. That's true. Ralph Waldo Emerson, the poet, said this, The gods we worship write their names on our faces. A man willing will worship something. Have no doubt about that. He may think that his tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of his heart, but it will come out some way. That which dominates will determine their life and their character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship. Listen to this, because what we are worshiping is who we're becoming. What is dominating your character these days? What are you thinking about a lot? What is that thing that you're spending a lot of energy thinking through and dreaming about that your spouse is just not that excited about. 
that your spouse is like, I don't know if that's what we need to do. But no, you just don't understand, baby. You don't understand, husband. And we allow that to define us. Fame is a vapor. Popularity an accident, but only character endures. That is so true. Only character endures. Character. And hear me. One person said, character is simply a habit long continued. What's, what have you been habitually doing for years? Think about that. Complaining? Gossiping? Maybe it's wandering on the site you shouldn't. Maybe it's spending money you don't have and hiding it from your spouse. What are the things that you have done over a period of time that you're like, that would never, I would never allow that to define me. But if it's happened over 21 days, I'm telling you, you're letting success spoil your character. You're letting success spoil your character. Thomas Paine said it like this, character is much easier kept than recovered. That's true. Character and integrity. Don't let success spoil your character. How many of y'all have ever knew somebody and they were kind of real and authentic and then they got successful and it all went to their head? Let me see your hands. Okay? All of us know people like that, right? And I was talking to probably one of my best friends in the world yesterday and he's talking about how his brother is working in um, a situation that their boss has let success go to their head. And his boss is just unbearable. We cannot let success define us. And we cannot let failure define us. So let's talk about what is success. Here's, what we're gonna, here's how we're going to close. I am challenging you this week. to I want you to write down three life goals. What do you want your life to look like? If you die at 50, 60, 70, 90, 30, I don't know. What do you want to define your life? These three statements. What do you want these three statements to look like? And by doing this, I'm going to tell you mine. All right? Now, hear me. If I tell you yours, you've got you to tell me, you know, if I tell you mine, you've got to tell me yours. So you can go on the U version, and uh, it's all, it, can, it can be anonymous. But I, want you, I really, really, really want you guys to interact with this. Let me give you my first one. It's simply this. I, one of my life goals is to get people to take a second look at God in the church. You know, I, I grew up here in Clarksville. I grew up in church. And uh, friends of mine, we were talking last night and how the church I grew up in, and it's a godly church, I love the church, but it seems like the churches that you grew up in, maybe in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, were a lot different than one church. And I remember going to Sunday night and thinking, man, I wish Sunday mornings could be like Sunday nights. A little bit looser, you know what I mean? I could wear jeans on Sunday nights, but if you wore jeans on Sunday mornings, you weren't respecting Jesus. All right? I'm like, where's that in the Bible? It's not, but that's how you know. I remember... I remember when the first um, African-American visited the church that I went to, and it just caused a stink. i got to be honest with you, that just ticked me off. And I, I remember it, being in middle school and high school, saying, you know what, if I'm ever in a church when I'm older, I felt like God was calling me into ministry then. I said, I want our church 
I want everybody to be accepted. You know, uh, uh, an African-American preacher by the name of Tony Evans, I used to work in his ministry, he always used to say this, that the most segregated hour in America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Isn't that crazy that we can get together and we can work together and we can go to war together and we can fight together and we can die together, but we can't worship together? There's a Greek word for that. Jacked up. Right? I've got to be honest with you. I, I, I believe God's word to be true. I'm a fundamentalist. And that's a four-letter word in these days. But my goal is to put the fun back in the fundamentalist. Why can't we laugh? Why can't we trust God and, and have faith in God and still have a good time while doing it? I believe, and John Piper said it this way, that God is most glorified when we find our pleasure in Him. And that's what I believe life is about. So one of my life goals, and, and to be honest, it's why we started one church. 88% of people don't go to church anywhere here in this town. And the reason why they don't go to church is they're like, man, I just, it's going to be boring. It's going to, and they, you just name it. So we said, you know what? Let's take those, those preconceived notions and let's turn them on their head. All right? So that's one of my life goals. Let me give you another one. Uh, to live a life that makes a difference for other people. You know, I, I remember when I went into college and my, in my Literally, my first year of college, I immediately started teaching Sunday school. That's how I rebelled. I know I'm a little crazy like that. Started teaching sixth grade boys Sunday school class. Almost caused me to drink. Um, but, uh, man, i got to be honest with you. I, some of those boys still contact me. And, and they say, man, you just don't know the difference. And hear me, I'm not saying this to say I'm all that. I'm not. But let me tell you. When you choose to focus on, to, to draw the target first and then shoot, you will hit it. My, my boy, Walt, and I, we had a compound bow yesterday. And we were shooting targets. And it's amazing, when you have a target and you aim at it, you may not hit the bullseye, but you pretty much hit the target every time. It's crazy like that. But if you don't have a target, you'll never hit it. One of my targets is to make a difference in people. And I can look back over my 20 years of ministry and I can see people I've married. I can see people I've buried. I can see people that I've taught Sunday school with or I've, I've been a youth pastor or I've been a worship leader. or I've been, I mean, you name it. I've kind of done it all. And I've seen people's lives change. And I can look back and i got to be honest with you, there's some days I wake up and I'm like, man, I'm just a big fat failure. And when Satan starts attacking me, I, it's like God brings people to my mind. I'm like, you know, I remember when Courtney Weiland was in 10th grade. And I remember when I was her Sunday school teacher. I remember talking to her about peer pressure. I remember talking to Jessica Wickham and us sitting down and talking about the struggles she was having. I remember talking to Evan Radish when he was in 6th grade. And I could go through all of these names who still live here in Clarksville. Their last names have changed. They're women. But they're still here. But being not, not all of their story, but just being a small link in their story. That's cool. My last one, my last life goal is this. is My desire is for the people who know me best to love me most. One of my mentors in seminary, Howard Hendricks, used to say this. He says, it's easy to, to imp impress people from a distance, 
but you can only impact them up close. One of the things I've learned in decades of ministry is that ministry is all about relationships. It's not about how good a communicator you are. It's not about how good of lights or smoke or any of that you are. Ministry is about relationships. And I tell you, the people who are closest to me, I want them to love me the most. You ever been around people who the closer you got to them, you realize, I don't think I want to be friends with that person? I've been around people like that. You're like, you know, I don't want that to be me. I don't want to put up a good front on the outside and to be a meanie on the inside. And where this really applies is to my family. You know, it's easy for me to get up and bear my soul up on a stage, but I want my boys to love the Chris who's on the stage and love the Chris who's off the stage. I want my life, my wife, to know that I am more in love with her than one church. That this church isn't my mistress. But this is the bride of Christ. I'm not married to this church. I'm married to Kim. And for me to love her. I want the people who know me the best to love me the most. Now, here's why I want to end with this. What's your life goals? What does that look like for you? Because if you, if you don't choose them, you will eventually allow what you do to define who you are. And we need to flip that. We need to figure out who we are and allow that to define what we do. I mentioned this book last week. It's called The Law of Happiness by Dr. Henry Cloud. And it's a a really good book that I'm reading right now. It's talking a lot about happiness and how we can find happiness and the biblical response to it as well as the scientific response. And I did a lot of quotes from this last week. Um, we're selling this at our resource table, and we're not making any money on it. It costs $15, and we were selling it for $15. In fact, I think it costs $14.99, and we had to pay the tax. So we're actually losing a little bit of money. But you know what? We don't care. We want to be able to put resources in your hands so that you can be able to look at and read that will change your life. And I believe this is a good resource. So I would encourage you to go by the resource table and pick that up. If you're, uh, We have about 20 copies, and that's it. So... Anyway, let me pray for you guys, and, uh, and we're going to have Ryan come out here, and he'll tell us what's next. Dear God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your love, your grace that is new every morning. And God, I pray for all of us, Lord, all of us who've been failures, all of us who've been successes, and that's all of us. God, I pray, Lord, that you would not allow success and failure to define who we are, but, Lord, that we would go deeper. That we would see it's not our actions, God, that defines who we are, God. But, Lord, I pray it's relationships that defines who we are. It's the relationship of being close to you, Jesus Christ. And, Lord, I pray for those men and women who are here today. Some, maybe for the very first time, who are just struggling with purpose. And, Lord, I pray, God, that you would show them the purpose in their lives. And it isn't doing but it's becoming like Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. And I thank you so much for this church. I thank you so much, Lord, for the ministry, for many of the people who serve in here day in and day out. out, And for many of them, Lord, who are going to leave this service and serve next service. God, I pray for those people who will be showing up for the very first time at 11 o'clock. Their children, their kids, guests. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would always be a church that grows up Christians, but always 
has the open arm policy that it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, God, but Lord, you're welcome. Because you, God, you did that for me. Lord, that's what I pray. That you would allow the grace that you've shown me. Lord, that you would allow me to show that grace to others. We love you so much, Jesus Christ. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.